please be advised. All music tracks used in this production are sole property of Kelson Communications and are original compositions. Also, please be advised that the sound bite you'll hear from Dr. Richard Stone, I was granted permission to use from administrative personnel at the VA in Washington. Thank you. Hello, everyone. This is Silas, your e-journalism social work advocate. Coming up will be a Kelson on the Air social work podcast special series entitled Social Workers Confronting COVID-19 with Compassion, Courage, and Character. Over the next several weeks, you will hear from social workers from all over the country share their stories and their experiences battling and dealing with this devastating pandemic. It is my greatest wish that these stories will garner a new level of appreciation for the vitally important role that social workers play in confronting the challenges, heartbreak, and tragedies this coronavirus is wreaking on all of us. Social workers are there for everyone right now, as they are always. To open up this series, please hear this profound message from Dr. Richard Stone, executive in charge of the Veterans Health Administration in Washington, D.C. Following that, you will hear from our first guest in the series, Dr. Elizabeth Eckert, LCSW. Please listen, learn, and be inspired. Thank you for tuning in. Today, I want to talk to you about our social work community. You know, social workers are always there. They're always part of our team, and they're always interacting with our patients for various specific needs. But now with social isolation, uh, people, uh, people have needed social workers for the first time. And our social workers, for the most part, have worked face-to-face with our patients and their families. Now they can't do that. It's very difficult work, and it's unprecedented the level of support we've gotten from our social works community. I want you to think about how much financial instability has, uh, has been induced during all of this shutdown. Uh, people are worried about money, people are worried about their jobs, people are worried about each other, and it's our social workers who are the glue that holds this together. And in any really good healthcare system, the social workers are out in front trying to make sure families are well taken care of and all of the unique needs that are not met by our medical professionals are really handled by the social work community. So today I'd like you to take a minute and just thank your social workers that are part of your team and recognize how much extraordinary work they've been able to accomplish throughout this pandemic. Thank you. To everyone tuning in, welcome. This is Silas, your e-journalism social work advocate. You're listening to the Kelson on the Air Social Work Podcast, the program that promotes, celebrates, uplifts, and highlights the social work profession. This podcast aims to educate the general public to the vital contributions professional social workers make in every aspect of society every day. Our special guest for today is Dr. Elizabeth Eckert. Dr. Eckert is a New York State licensed clinical social worker. She received her master's degree in social work from Adelphi University and her doctorate in clinical social work and social policy at NYU. Dr. Eckert has had a private psychotherapy practice for 25 years, providing individual, couples, and family therapy. Dr. Eckert has a subspecialty working with individuals and couples struggling with infertility. 
Currently, Dr. Eckert is director of the Nassau County Bar Association's Lawyer Assistance Program, which provides confidential services to lawyers, judges, law students, and their families struggling with mental health and substance use issues. It is my distinct pleasure to welcome to today's show, Dr. Elizabeth Eckert. Welcome, Ms. Eckert. Thank you for joining us. This is the Kelson on the Air Social Work Podcast. So you, you wrote a really powerful piece. And, uh, you know, we're going to let our listeners hear that. I want to give a shout out to my fellow mental health professionals whose very job it is to process people's fears, listen to people's pain and sit with people as they tell their stories of how this pandemic has impacted their lives. Stories too painful to repeat, but that stay in our minds as we try to sleep at night and live our lives during the day. Our hearts break as we try to comfort the healthcare worker who sat with someone as they took their last breath without the comfort of their loved ones and then cried on the phone with their family members, assuring them that they held their mother's, father's, grandmother's, or grandfather's hand and comforted them, or stayed on the phone with a mom who watched her daughter sleep because she was afraid she might not make it through the night. She had a fever for six days, had trouble breathing. Her oxygen was 87, but was told by EMT workers to go back in the house, take Tylenol, and hydrate because she is safer at home than in the hospital. This after being sent home from the ER two days before because they had no more tests and thought she was safer at home. This is often day in and day out for many of us. We are equipped to do this. Yes, we got this. But let's not forget to take care of ourselves, to support each other. This is the beginning. The fallout from this will be vast and long-lasting. Stay strong, sleep, try to eat well, and find some balance. Let's be there for each other. I'm so proud to be among such incredible professionals. If I can help, I'm here for you. Let's be there for each other. I am beyond grateful for my colleagues who I can cry with. What was it that spurred you to write that? And uh, tell our listeners a little bit about there was so much emotion and passion behind that. So tell us a little bit about that piece. Just give our listeners a little bit insight into what spurred you to write that. Okay. So within the first few weeks of this isolation, I was kind of quickly bombarded by the reality of the situation. And when I started hearing stories from clients or from callers about what they were dealing with on the front lines, like talking about holding people's hands while they were dying. And they're not even related to them. And these people are away from their families and they're passing away and they're holding their hands and having to take their last breath with them. How overwhelming that is and that nothing that we have ever been taught can prepare us for this time. And here we are having to deal with it on the spot. And as social workers, I think, you know, on some levels we're prepared to deal with it because we are familiar with human suffering, but we're not necessarily ever thinking we're going to be in a position to take the place of a loved one at the very time that someone's taking their last breath. That must be very traumatic in and of itself to just have to be in that position. I'm sure there's another component like that social worker then having to talk to the family after their loved one who they couldn't be with took that last breath. Right. And this is really so quick. I mean, in the last maybe three weeks, maybe the hospital has been blessed with the opportunity to have people donate iPads and iPhones and tablets in order to be able to have some type of direct communication between the loved one and their family. But that was even before that. 
And here they are, you know, really having to now sit with a loved one while they passed and then having to, you know, then go and call the loved one and the family and say they passed and what that means. And, you know, I have a a friend or a co- or an acquaintance who happened to be an ER doctor who I reached out to to see if I there's anything I could do to help and you know what she really said was what we came up with was is there a way to give people the opportunity when they leave work for the day before they go home to their families to have somebody to talk to to make that transition, you know, to sit in the car and say, I just held somebody's hand while they died. And then I had to call the family member to say, you know, your grandmother, your grandfather, your mother, your father just passed. And I just want you to know that I held their hand and that I comforted them. And, you know, now I have to leave work and go home to my family who I don't know whether I'm bringing this disease with me and I'm doing everything I can not to, Mm -hmm. um, to go into that home. And then you know, I had the privilege, but also the very heavy weight of being able to say to them, you did everything that you could. And it was enough because as social workers, do we really know what's enough? You know, we can think about what we've been taught about is enough, but does it ever feel like enough? Are we, can we ever replace that, which is, you know, touch of a human family member when someone dies? I mean, this is all way beyond, you know, our scope, anybody's scope. Yeah, certainly beyond anything that a social worker is trained and prepared for and educated in the classroom. And then just to imagine that conversation with the family members who couldn't be there, um, right. you know, that in and of itself is a, a whole nother heavy weight that I'm sure a social worker has to now go from uh, comforting someone taking their last breath to now I've got to deal with the family. And a lot of times the social worker may even have to try to help the family, well, certainly help the family process what just happened in all of its sadness but also they may have to now all of a sudden start trying to help them navigate well since all the social distancing well how do we properly say goodbye to the loved one and that's a whole nother story you know and this post was in the beginning i mean you know as we're so resilient as human beings that on some level intrinsically as helpers you know healthcare workers social workers we try to find over time ways to ease that pain albeit you never really can but now at least there's you know there are there is this kind of real time communication that can happen and there is you know now they're streamlining funeral proceedings and there's calling people in from other states. But, you know, when I wrote this post, it was before even that was happening. Mm -hmm. We just weren't prepared. Nobody was prepared. Nobody could have anticipated it. And at the time of the post, at least, there was no... I mean, it's still horrendous. Mm -hmm. And it still will never make up for what could be otherwise. But there have been some things put in place. I mean, since then, I just spoke with somebody the other day. I mean, his grandmother died, very, very close family, no pre-existing conditions. She got coronavirus. She got sick. She ended up in the hospital. She passed. The father was diagnosed. He's now home with symptoms, 
doesn't look very good. They're worried about him. While while they're freaking trying to bury his mother, there's only six people allowed at the funeral. They couldn't get the they're orthodox they're not orthodox Jews, but they're practicing Jews. And you know, normally they get the body within two within the next day mm-hmm. and they have the service. Now it's three days later before they got the body. Now they have the body. The father's sick. He can't be there. The mother's quarantined. They're trying to do a funeral. There's only six people allowed at the cemetery. They each have to go one by one to the grave. I mean, this is just unbearable. Yes, yes, absolutely. And and the, you know, the social workers certainly being out on the front lines to try to help society get through this. Then the question becomes, so who helps the helpers? Who helps the social worker after they've, you know, gone through this and witnessed this? And, and the stories that you share are, are coming from, you know, some of our fellow colleagues who are social workers. So how are they handling it after the fact and who's helping them? Right. And I do want to talk about something that you and I have been speaking about, which is just the idea of social workers. Right. Mm -hmm. So now where are the social workers? Well, Mm -hmm. they're in the hospital and talking to the family of the person who died. Mm -hmm. They're in the hospital making arrangements for the person who died. They're in the car talking to the person, social worker who just did all of that. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Then they're, you know, then they're home talking to the social worker or the other person trying to deal with the aftermath of that. They're in every single step of this process. Yes. Yes, they are. And uh, I read an interesting story, uh, I guess, in the last like week or two that uh, in one of the hospitals and, it, you know, the name doesn't come to come to mind right away. And I'm sure this is a repeating scene in all the Mm -hmm. hospitals Mm -hmm. that the social work office is where all the doctors and the nurses and the nurse practitioners and the physician's assistants, where they go, when they need someone to like help them carry the load that they've just finished witnessing uh, someone pass away or, or, or doing all that they could to save someone. And then that person passing away. So now they're going to the social work office and, and, mm-hmm. and I think the quote was because they know there's a space there where social workers can 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 help people hold and and carry a lot of stuff. So now you've got the other healthcare professionals who are on the front line, right in the mix of the battle. They're now also going to the social workers so that they can kind of unload some of their grief and some of their trauma. Mm-hmm. So I mean, and 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 I don't think that about you know what. The, the social worker does as a professional in times like these, you know, you don't really hear those stories. And I think that's why it's so important to, you know, constantly keep telling the stories about social workers who also where does the social worker go. Right. Where does the social worker go? Who helps the helper? You know, and the right. social workers, you know, we're out there helping everybody, you know, we're, and not only are we doing that, you know, we're helping to, you know, make sure that people who need get resources. You know, we're helping the veterans. And what about all of the people who had experienced domestic violence and now they're mm-hmm. trapped in that environment and they can't go anywhere? I've heard a lot of stories about there being a lot of undue pressure on social workers to try to navigate that experience mm-hmm. as well. So I think it's really, really important that the general public and, and, and the world, for that matter, really mm-hmm. know what it is that social workers do. And this is something that we do this all the time, but people just don't know. Right. That's exactly right. And we don't really talk about it because we're very you know, humble. We know humility. We're very selfish. We're unassuming. And and we just kind of go about doing our job and, you know, just kind of fade off into the, 
into the background because, you know, we think that that's what, what our calling is. And yes, it is. However, we want to make sure that when they're thinking, you know, the, the healthcare workers, that social mm-hmm. workers are included in their thoughts. When they're yeah. thanking all the essential staff, that a social worker is also included in who's considered essential staff. And let's thank the doctors and the nurses and the truck drivers and the delivery people. Mm-hmm. Yes, and the anesthesiologists and the respiratory therapists. But also, please, let's make sure that we also thank the social workers and you know, make sure that we all as a society realize that in a time like this, social workers sometimes are the glue that holds the whole thing together. Because like you mentioned, after that doctor, you know, walks away and, you know, puts that respirator on and there's really not much else that he or she can do when the nurse has medicated that um, patient. Many times it's that social worker that's there to hold a hand to try to comfort them. And like you said, is the bridge between uh, what may be that person taking their last breath and having to communicate with the family. Now, one other thing I'd, I'd like you to address, you mentioned about there being donations of uh, you know, iPads and, and smartphones and tablets. You know, that, that's something interesting that you know, I wasn't aware of. Can you share a little bit about that with our listeners? Well, I mean, the little that I do know is that the people I've spoken with more recently have at least been given the opportunity to have iPads to bring into the room with the person who is really uh, basically going to die, that at the very least the loved ones can be held to the person who's dying to be able to share with them their feelings, their love, their emotion, say goodbye, you know, send their best, express themselves while seeing their loved one. Mm -hmm. Whether or not they perceive that the loved one can actually hear and process what they're saying, we all want to believe, and I personally believe they can, um, you know, hear them. But that's a relatively new opportunity that wasn't, available mm-hmm. early on or couldn't be accessed quickly right. or there were there were many there were too limited resources and too limited staff to be able to facilitate that level of communication and now over time it almost becomes the norm very quickly mm-hmm. because either you know either people have been donating or they're able to have within the system the ability to do that so that's something i've been hearing more of you know it's certainly not the substitute for direct contact, but certainly, you know, having the ability as a social worker to hold up a FaceTime or a live video Mm -hmm. where somebody can be able to speak to their loved one who's dying for the loved one, at least they feel that they were able to say, you know, I love you. You Mm -hmm. were, this is what you meant to me. Don't ever forget. You Mm -hmm. know, I mean, these are very, very powerful opportunities Mm -hmm. that um, really weren't, you know, they just weren't prepared for early on. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, and, and it's great that you've been able to kind of put a face on, you know, what's mm-hmm. really going on and how social workers, you know, are so so um, entrenched and involved in this whole process of dealing with this pandemic. And like you said, this this is something on a scale which nobody was really prepared for. 
and it and it's everywhere and it's and it's every place and everyone is being affected. I don't think there's a person on the planet that hasn't been affected in some way. Either they they've lost someone, they're you know they're they're in a position to uh, try to help someone, and a, and a lot of what what I see happening also is a lot of good coming out of humanity. People mm-hmm. stepping forward and and trying to help and and a lot of the great gestures that I'm seeing. And I don't think that enough is being highlighted about, you know, how once this is all over, that this good that's being done now is going to be a lot asked of a lot of people. And then the social workers will be, I don't want to say, you know, left to, to kind of handle everything, but, you know, the aftermath. And it's, and it's, and it's kind of been like that. So you have a hospice social worker, you have a palliative care social worker, uh, somebody who's got to kind of carry on after, you know, all is said and done. Um, You know, we need to make sure that we can keep that in mind because, you know, when this is over, whenever that is, and we go back to whatever normal is going to be, Mm -hmm. there's going to be a lot of fallout. And in a lot of instances, um, the social workers will be the ones that are there still and continuing to be on those front lines. And I think that's really important. So Mm -hmm. uh, is there any uh, last thoughts you'd like to share with our listeners um, as we get ready to wrap this up? You know, I just think that what this has done, if we really take a close look, is to really see that social workers are at every level of this crisis, that there is no part of this crisis, whether it be the medical aspect, the emotional aspect, the societal aspect, the community aspect, that we are not in the front lines with this. And it is my hope that we get recognized for that because, you know, we really do deserve that recognition. And not that we're looking for a pat on the back, because I don't think if ever there is a profession that isn't looking for a pat on the back, (laughs) it's social workers. But at the same time, in order for us to do our work well, to be provided with the resources to do our, our work well, to be provided with the emotional nurturance to do our work well, we have to be recognized. Thank you. I appreciate you saying it and saying it in that way because we do want to make sure that people understand that what we do, we do because this is a calling. Anybody that's in social work, they're there because they want to help people because it's a helping profession. And sometimes it's been said it's one of the most or the most noble of the helping professions. And and like you said, we don't want to pat on the back. We just want to make sure that everybody realizes that we're there right along with everybody else, with the doctors and the nurses, trying our best to make this a better situation um, at the end of the day for anybody that we can, that we can help. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the real message that, you know, I'm hoping that this whole project will uh, bring forward. And I do thank you for taking a brief moment out of your hectic schedule, which all of our schedules are hectic now, you know, to share some of these insights. And uh, we're looking forward to letting our listeners hear your powerful piece that you wrote. And so I'm, I'm thankful that you are also able to lend your voice um, and it is an important voice. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure having this opportunity through this crisis to hook up with you and to have an opportunity to share. And uh, if there's anything I can do going forward, please let me know. Okay, thank you so much. We're going to wrap it up. And again, 
again, we've been talking with uh, Dr. Elizabeth Eckert, who is the director of the Nassau County Bar Association's Lawyers Assistance Program. And thank you for being a guest on our Kelson on the Air Social Work Podcast. And we'll look forward to speaking with you again in the future. This is Silas, your e-journalism social work advocate and host of the show. You've been listening to the Kelson on the Air Social Work Podcast. This and all other programs are available on the Apple iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Anchor podcast platforms. Go to any search engine and type in Kelson on the Air in the search window to hear this show in its entirety. Thank you for tuning in. This has been a Kelson Communications production.